Luck on Sunday. Brought to you by Whirlpool. Bet with the world. Well, as you'll have heard, if you were paying attention to Harry Cobden a few moments ago, he's taken a good few more rides this season, up to 568, and is now six clear of Sean Byrne at the top of the uh, Jockeys' Championship. Here are one or two of his highlights. Racing up towards the line, born famous from last to first to take the summer plate. Ninth elite hurdle for Paul, a second for Harry Copton, four on the day for Paul Nichols, and a Harry Copton treble. This was a cool ride from Harry Copton. Burdett Road has remained unbeaten as one very impressively. Dave Starr and Harry Copton in front are going to make all the running to win the Paddy Power Gold Cup. Bayway Bay to make it two wins from two starts over fences. The former national winner out in front, but here comes Paisley Park near to the line. It's Noble Yates just holding him. Harry Cobden, it's been a golden season so far, and the spring festivals are just around the corner. 129 for 568 plays. Sean Bowen's 123 for 553. Of course, Sean missed that significant portion through injury, and they've got a nice break on Brian Hughes, a former champion jockey. Sam Twiston-Davies, who's having a cracking season, as is Gavin Sheehan. But, Harry, as you were saying yourself a few moments ago, much busier. It was a deliberate ploy... Or has it just become like that as the seasons developed? <clears throat> no, um, like to be fair, in the summer we we did um, set our stall out and had a good go, and I had lots of support from um, you know the likes of Tony Charlton and um, James Owen, and I've ridden for probably ten times the amount of trainers that I'd normally ride for, and um, uh, yeah, I, I suppose you know I, my my plan throughout the summer was forty winners. I rode forty winners, but um, I think on the sixth of October I was something like. 49 or 47 behind Sean, so uh, it was looking slightly unrealistic then. So what flicked the switch then from being Mr Big Day to Mr Everyday? Um, I just thought it would be great to have a go and, um, you know, I'm 25 now. I don't want to get five years down the line and try and have a go when I'm 30 or even older than that. So, uh, yeah, I thought let's try and give it a go. I thought it was the, it was a sort of a, a good opportunity. Um, don't get me wrong, I think it was probably one of the worst seasons to try and do it because Paul literally didn't have a summer jumper in, so um, you had to sort of rally round and get all the spares you could get. But, um, yeah, I got some. I made some um, great contacts in the summer with lots of good trainers and picked up some great spares, and to be fair, I really enjoyed it. And did you think that you needed to be busier? Um, I probably didn't need to be busier because I was making a good living as it was, mm. and, um, you know, I rode lots of quality and there wasn't a great deal of quantity there. I meant sort of mentally more than financially. Um, I d no, I, d I didn't, I don't, I don't think I did, no, probably not then. So it was really just the, the itch to scratch to see if you could be champion jockey? Yeah, yeah, and, um, you know, Sam Strong, uh, he, he, was, he was fairly keen for it to happen. Um, so um, we put our I heads together and we had a good go. Is he quite persuasive as an agent? We were talking to Safi about Tony Hind earlier. I sort of understand a little bit about the way that Tony works. 
Yeah, um, obviously, um, when Dave Roberts was in control, um, I probably didn't. I, did, I probably didn't realise what a great job he did of managing me at the time, and I probably back then wanted more rides. But really, Dave just did a great job of sort of, sort of pointing my career in the right direction. And um, I never rode any bad horses. There was never any horses that I was riding with Dave that I didn't think I should have been riding. And he sort of looked after me really well, got me into some great positions. Like when things were, when Sam was stable jockey for Paul, he put me in with the Tizards and then he sort of, he was the only man that controlled that. And I remember like one season I was riding, I was literally Nichols's first jockey and riding all the Tizards as well. And it was, yeah, unbelievable. Um, but he did an unbelievable job. And then obviously he retired. I went to Sam and um, Sam's taken that role on really well and we've had lots of success ever since. Um, were you just taking that all in your stride in that kind of happy-go-lucky way that you appear to have or actually was there a lot more inner um, pressure riding those good horses? No, I don't think so. I, I, I think, um, you know, I've, even from a very young age I've probably been well, I, I was cocky back then and was probably very confident in my own ability. And um, Were you a cocky kid then? I think so, yeah, I'd probably say I was. Um, but I suppose you grow older and you mellow out and relax about things a little bit more, don't you? And um, I, I um, yeah, I've, I've always been in a fortunate position where since a £7 claim, you know, Paul Nichols let me ride in grade ones. And um, I think I've won my first grade one as a five-pound claimer, and um, I suppose he's always given me good opportunities, and so have lots of other people. So I probably, you know, I suppose when that's all you've ever been used to mm. is riding on the big days and having good rides on um, decent horses in big races, it sort of comes naturally. When did you first go into Paul Nichols? When I was 13. 13? Yeah, 13. And so how did that come about? Um, so I started riding out for um, Ron Hodges when I was nine or 10. Um, and it was just on his, he had a few um, quiet old jumpers back in the day and um, and then he got me into pony racing and then from pony racing I rode against Megan on the weekends and uh, Paul was obviously at the pony races supporting Megan and uh. there were a few occasions where I finished in front of her and uh, yeah, Paul must have, I suppose, seen something and he said to me, oh, when you're when you're old enough, come and ride out. And I gave him a call when I was 13 and rode out for him in the summer. That speaks quite a lot about the way he operates that, doesn't yeah. it? He doesn't miss a lot. He was the same with um, Freddie, Freddie Gingell as well and um, Sean Bowen. He obviously saw something in Sean and wanted him. So, yeah, he's, uh, he's a shrewd operator and he doesn't miss too much. Yeah, and the fact that you and Sean are now vying for this, this championship, it, it seems as though you're able to do this quite hard, but get on pretty well, whereas you'll go back to the days of, you know, Dun Dunwoody and Maguire yeah. and that kind of intense, bitter rivalry. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's probably quite nice that um, we get on so well and, um, you know, we, are, we had our real first job together down in Ditchit and, um, you know, when I couldn't drive and, and, and Sean could, we, we got lifts together and, yeah, we've had m many a good day together and I've sat next to him for the probably part... What, do you own one? He was your designated yeah, driver? Yeah, I've probably sat next to him <laughs> for the last seven years as well, so... Um, yeah, we 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 get on tremendously well. I've never ever had a crossword with him on or off the track, and um, you know he's a true professional. Yeah, he seems like a fairly measured. Yeah, no, character. he is. Yeah, and uh, but to be fair, I, I, he's he's fairly relaxed like me, and not too much would phase him. It, it's I'm always interested in that you've always had 
another life outside racing, your farming and your, your other business interests. Yeah. Um, has this just unfolded like that or was, were you consciously thinking, I can't just be about riding horses? Um, well, I, I suppose um, you're only one fall away and actually five years ago, I think I probably broke my neck and um, that was a little bit of a reality check. But um, my main interest outside of racing is my farming. I love my farming and, um, you know, my parents are beef farmers and that's just something that's, that I find is quite nice to probably just take your mind off things when it's getting a little bit busy. What do you love about farming? Um, well, it's probably a little bit sad, but every night when I go home, I go and have a look round the cattle over the farm, and it's, yeah, I just walk over on my own and have a walk round, and it's quite relaxing, and, yeah, just have my head torch on when it's dark and it's nice in the summer when you can just do a few jobs and take your mind off the job. It's a bit of my own sort of personal time, if you like, and... Yeah, I don't know. I just probably do all my best thinking when I'm walking around over there of an evening. And what are you thinking about normally? Everything and anything. Racing, sometimes, um, you know, uh, ideas and things I can do differently. Um, anything and everything. It's just, I don't know, it's probably my, my time where I do more my best thinking and, yeah, make a few plans or whatever. It, it, it strikes me you are that sort of person. I don't want to say wheeler dealer because that almost undersells it. Yeah. But someone who's always got a little, a little plan up your sleeve, something new, quite entrepreneurial. Yeah, I'd say so. Um, and like racing is obviously uh, like uh, the position I'm in at the moment, having lots of rides and being very busy. You 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 don't get much time to yourself, and um, really racing is probably all you all you think about. And you have to be like that at the moment. But um, uh, yeah, like even the little things, like I I I try and delegate stuff so I never drive to the races and Sam Strong does all the bookings and we obviously chat every day and talk about things and um, thankfully we, we think fairly alike and um, he, he's obviously on the ball a lot more than I am in, within that respect but um, you know even you know dealing with Paul you know Paul's, Paul's a massive thinker he never stops thinking he's you know I swear to god he goes to bed uh, dreaming of racing and he wakes up doing the same. Mm. And he's obviously got a lot of respect for you, the way he talks about you, and because I haven't really heard him talk about many of his jockeys like that. What's the secret to your understanding of one another, do you think? Well, I, I, I suppose I wouldn't get under his feet in the respect that sort of the, the training's his side of things and, you know, that's that's his job. And But, like, the, the probably the first couple of years of, you know, I think this is my sixth season now, the first couple of years it was quite difficult in the respect that he probably didn't trust me as much um, um, back then with the instructions and maybe he thought I was half asleep on on a few occasions but now it's sort of like yesterday and all the big days he's just sort of we we, we talk about things beforehand and make a plan but it ultimately he leaves it up to me and you know there's always a, a, a plan B if needed um, and I know the way he likes his horses ridden um, so yeah we just we've got a good relationship now and I think he probably trusts me a lot more and when you what were you, 19 when you had the stable jockey's job? Yeah. Yeah, when you're 19 in that job, I mean, everyone had seen how it had unfolded for, for good in many respects and for less good in other respects for various people over the years. It's a high-pressure job. Were there people saying, oh, you don't really want a stable jockey job there at 19? Uh, yeah, uh, a few few comments. I mean, someone told me once it was the jockey's graveyard and uh, another jockey also said to me that I wouldn't last six weeks. Um, but, uh, yeah, here I am six years later and hopefully I can do another six years. Um, 
So, yeah, uh, and I've ridden some it, amazing horses in the time I've been there. Is that where that cockiness was quite handy? Because you could just go, yeah, whatever. Yeah, probably, probably. Um, and, as you know, like anyone that's, that's good, you know, you look at Ruby or AP, um, they're not cocky, but they've got, obviously, a lot of self-belief, haven't they? And they, um, they, had to, they had to believe in their own abilities probably from day one to, to get where they've got, you know, if sometimes I think if you don't promote yourself, nobody else will. Um, I didn't, never struck me as a huge sort of pushy self-publicist, though. No, no, probably not. Probably not, but... Um, I mean, now you would be getting masses more limelight than than you were even when you were riding grade one winners at the age of 20, 21. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, I think now things have, things have, things have changed quite a bit, especially in, probably in the last 12 months. Mm. Um, and, um, you know, even me going for the Jockeys' Championship and um, myself and Sean having a little battle down to the last few weeks of the season, it's, it's, brought, it's brought quite a nice sort of positive light on um, jump racing, you know, because sometimes when you read the paper and uh, there is, enough negativity in, in, in amongst it, isn't there? So it's, 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 it's something nice to read about and um, it's something nice to be involved in. And, um, yeah, I must admit, I, um, I am enjoying it. OK. Do you ever think about the future of the sport? Do you ever think about the future of jump racing and the way you've seen it evolve, even in the relatively short space of time that you've been at the top of it? Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, obviously, probably not in the depth that you do, Nick, but, um, you know, there were certain things... Yeah, that I haven't had 568 rides <laughs> this season, thank <laughs> there, God. There, there are certain things that, um, you know, even in the weighing room that we discuss, and probably the topic that comes out um, at, the, at the top of the list at the moment is um, how has Willie Mullins got all the good horses uh, in Ireland and, and, you know, not only just at Willie's but at Gordon's as well. And um, I think it probably comes down to the fact that they spend more money than us and they buy more horses. Um, I wouldn't know what the stat would be from the ratio of Irish horses uh, from point-to-pointers and um, French horses that go to um, Willie, Gordon and all the Irish trainers, but um, I'd say it would be probably 75% to 25% England to Ireland, um, Irish to English ratio. So I think that's probably um, another thing. You know, how do we get... Um, buy, buy more horses or buy more of the right horses? Well, probably well. more of the right horses, but at the same time... Is the filtration system just better into those yards? Possibly, but I think they probably spend a fair bit more money as well. You know, how do we get... Um, how do we Your get? Your boys have just spent seven hundred and forty grand on one. I know, I know, but one. that's on one horse. They yeah. probably, they probably, I don't know. I suppose this Caliph de Burley probably wasn't yeah. that cheap either. Willie would, Willie, Willie probably buys. I don't know, t t twenty horses a month or something like that. I wouldn't know what the what the statistic would be, but um, yeah, I, I mean, we just need to concentrate on trying to get it right on a regular basis and buy the quality that we can we can get our hands on. I know they all come from different sources, a lot of the good horses that you ride, and the brilliance of Paul Nichols that we've spoken of so many times is that he can kind of sometimes turn something that looks rather unpromising into something that goes and wins a bunch of grade one races. Um, but do you like a type of horse? When you go down there and he says, oh, sit on this, do this, school this for me, do you sometimes look at one and go, yeah, that's the sort of horse that should be here and will do well with? Yeah, I love the French horses. Not, um, you know, there's a couple, few, few nice horses like Khalif de Burley is a great example. Like I love those sort of horses, but obviously they cost a load of money, and I love the Irish. Okay, pointers. so what's different about them? 
I suppose um, a horse like Khalif de Burley was obviously probably proven to be a good horse before he mm. came to us, and he obviously cost a lot of, lot of money, but um, they're, the, they're the horses that are going to take you to, to the top. Um, I love the Irish pointer pointers. We do, we do you know, well buying the Irish pointers, but they're obviously a lot of money as well. And I think the, the flat horses, they're probably the ones that um, not get you hurt, but they cost a lot of money for what they are um, because there is they, they can go to Saudi and Australia and places like that. And that I think... And you're the, getting the next tier down. Yeah, they probably buy this similar sort of horse to what we want to go running in juvenile hurdles now. And yeah. probably, there's no value for money there. So I'm wondering whether, say... 12 years ago, you'd be getting the one that's now going to Australia for 650 grand. Yeah. You'd have been getting that for 150 grand. Yeah. You know, we wouldn't have got our And now you're getting the next lot yeah. down. You're getting, not the dross, but you're getting the middle tier. We probably wouldn't have got our hands on the likes of Celestial Halo and Zarkanda now, nowadays, would we? Um, so, uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're... Celestial Halo would have been winning a Melbourne Cup or yeah, something, not they? Yeah, they're, they're, they're really hard horses to uh, to get hold of. So, um, yeah, we just... We, we've, we haven't got to sharpen up because I think we'd, we're doing a good job at what we're doing. We've just got to, you know, try and get, uh, get our owners to put their hands in their pockets and keep the quality coming. Um, I wanted to talk to you about... Um, the saddest occurrence of this season and, and pretty much any season in, in your life, and that was the death of uh, Keegan Kirby um, uh, a couple of weeks ago in a, in a point to point. That obviously touched you very deeply. Yeah, uh, not just me, but I suppose everyone in the yard. You know, he was uh, he was an integral part of our team, and um, you know, not only was he a great member of staff, he was a good friend and probably one of the nicest, most enthusiastic lads you'd ever come across. And um, yeah, it was it was obviously a a, a gut wrenching moment for for everyone um, that knew him uh, to hear the passing of him. But you know, I I, I just you know it, things happen, don't they? And um, it's obviously very very tough. But uh, I I try and put a positive spin on things. He he died doing what he loved doing. Um, he always wanted to have a ride in a point to point, and he had multiple rides. Rode rode a few winners, and um, yeah, just like I say, just died doing what he loved doing. He didn't battle cancer for six months or six years or six weeks. He he died doing what he loved. So um, I think that is a that is a the only positive I can I can think about it. But you know, obviously gutting for his family and um, it's been extremely tough for all the staff back at home. When you're having one of your quiet moments that you obviously do, your reflective moments around the farm with your helmet with a lamp on and you reflect on the the dangers of the sport um, does it ever make you think twice about what you're doing uh, no I must admit um, I've never gone out in a race and thought I probably shouldn't be riding this or doing that or whatever you know I I don't think you can think of the no. worst because obviously it's going to happen at some stage. You're going to have a fall and you're probably going to get hurt, but that comes to every jockey that, that goes out to ride in any race. I think you just need to go out there with a, with a positive mindset. Um, and I think when you start sort of thinking um, or sort of hesit hesitating, you probably send the, send the wrong signals down the reins towards the horse and then you do end up with a nasty fall. So, um, yeah, you've just got to go out there with a positive mindset and I never go out thinking of the worst. Um, you've become a bit more 
um, I'd say politically active, but you've been you're more inclined to express your views on on matters around the sport, maybe in the in the last couple of years. Do you see yourself as having a responsibility, not just to your your fellow jockeys because you're in a senior position, but also as we were just speaking about a moment ago, you're a you know, a, a, an iconic figure in a major yard as well, and you've got an awful lot of the workforce that will be will be looking up to you. Um, yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. Um, I'm probably not bright enough to, to be in a position to say too much. You know, I'm, I'm certainly no John Gosden or anyone like that, but um, uh, there are certainly things... Uh, Do you agree with him about the turnover-based levy? I wouldn't know enough about it, <laughs> Nick. But I, um, I, 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 I certainly know that in my time here there are things that I can, I, I can improve as a jockey. Um, and um, not just for jockeys, but in racing in general. I think lots of us have um, uh, plenty of views on racing, probably jump racing, that there's there's, there's too much of it, um, and how do we combat that? Well, we just probably reduce it is the easiest thing to do, but how we get there and reduce a bit of racing and maybe not ride on a Monday. Um, I was talking to Harry Scallon yesterday, and an interesting story that we were having yeah. is um, they were talking about the way the Irish um, uh, sort of have their layout, and they only ride three or four days a week, but those jockeys... Um, they're in the yard and the trainers are taking maybe 40 horses to the curragh on a Tuesday galloping and they're getting ridden by all the best jockeys. Yeah. They're putting their effort in. And I just think they've probably got more time and um, to, to train these horses um, and prepare them, whereas we're racing every day. Uh, the likes of myself, Harry Skelton, Sean Byrne, we're not spending probably enough time um, not not with the training, but um, engaged in the process. Yeah, yeah. If you if you if you understand the, the okay, point that I'm trying to get, but I just think they have probably have more time to to rally and ready their troops for March, um, Cheltenham, Aintree, Punchestown. You see, you you're quite self-deprecating. You said more than once in this interview, "Oh, I'm not really that bright, and I'm not bright enough to think about that, and I don't think deeply about that." But it strikes me that you have a great clarity of thought, which is why you've got your your life in, a, in an organised and um, sensible place. And I think there's a lot of people who don't have that, who can't think with that clarity of purpose and also have that ability to relativise what they're doing to the outside world and to be able to step out of the racing bubble. Do you recognise what an advantage that is? Yeah, I, I mean, I, mean I, I always think as well, uh, even... I'm going to use riding in a race as an example. If you keep things simple, it doesn't normally go wrong. The more you try and complicate things, the harder it is sometimes, isn't it? So um, I think, I don't know, my simple approach to it is, yeah, probably quite effective and works quite well. Mm. Um, but it, it, I'm sort of minded, um, having worked with John Franken for years, I'm minded of his, his approach. He's someone who I think is extremely brilliant in terms of his, his organisation and his resourcefulness and his ability to turn his hand to lots of different things apart from just riding or looking after horses. But he will say, well, it's so simple. You just think about it like this. And you, you think, but, but, but why didn't I think of that? Yeah. And that's that kind of entrepreneurial thing, yeah. I, I suppose, isn't it? Yeah, I understand what you're saying. You, you understand what I'm saying. Am I, am I, am I, am I somewhere in the right? Yeah, yeah, no, you're, I think you're exactly somewhere right. Somewhere in the right ballpark. We haven't even talked about the horses you're going to ride at Cheltenham, but frankly, you'd be banging on about that ad nauseum for the next two weeks, won't you? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but you reckon it won't be as many this year? No, I think, well, well we're obviously going to send a, a, a much smaller, um, but hopefully um, 
more select team this year. Um, you know, we, we don't have anything in the in the Supreme or the Arkle or, or a few of those other races. We haven't got really got much for the handicaps either. And you, do you think you might be able to come by a few of those <sighs> spare rides? Well, I was thinking the other night and uh, I was just sort of chatting to my agent about it as well. And he said, it's too early to tell, obviously, um, you know, Willie Mullins will have lots of different jockeys over here and so will Gordon. But um, yeah, I'll be I'll be interested to see what we can pick up. Um, hopefully there'll be something lurking in amongst it somewhere that where we can pick up an odd spare ride here or there. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, uh, it's too early to tell. OK, and as far as the Nichols horses are concerned, there's nothing that we don't know about really already, is there? You know, Brave Man's Game in the Gold Cup, Stay Away Faye in the Brown Advisory, Stage Star in the Ryanair. Uh, Captain Teague in the Albert Bartlett. Yeah. Um, Champion Bumper will probably run yeah. to Quebecois and Tishan. Which one do you think you ride? I don't know. Um, I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind just sort of having a sit on them before before they um, run. Um, and then uh, Liari runs in the Fred Winter. Liari runs in the Fred Winter rather. Um, I think he he's, he's he's got a chance. So um, yeah. I, I mean. Seven or eight runners, probably. Okay, and which do you think has the best chance? Um, or oh, I'd be, I'd be, I, I think it would be quite hard to split stage star and stay away Faye. I thought that Ryan there would cut up a little bit, um, and obviously stage star flopped last time. But I'd think if he he was going there straight off the back of his Paddy Power run, he'd be favourite. Yeah and um, stay away Frey, Paul Certain we haven't seen the best of him and he can get him, he can get him fitter and better. Um, I thought he'd come on a lot for his, for, his, for his run at Cheltenham last time. I thought the experience did him the world of good. Um, so yeah, he's, he's a horse that'll be going there with another great chance. Why can't he win the Gold Cup? He's massively overpriced and um, I thought he felt as good as ever when I schooled him on I think it was Tuesday morning. I, I, I rode him and schooled him, and he felt absolutely fantastic. Um, Doesn't he just run another big race, and then it's up to everyone else whether they want to turn up? Yeah, um, and like Gallop and the Champ is not unbeatable. I know he's obviously a very short price favourite, but he has been beat in the past, and it wouldn't surprise me if he's got beat again. And um, Brave Man's game, he's Mr. Consistent. Uh, his run in the King George was good, but obviously he ran at um, Haydock 30. 29, 30 days before, so um, I'm sure Paul um, thought he could have had him better, but he's going straight to March, he'll be good and fresh. Um, yeah, and it wouldn't surprise me if he ran a good race. Luck on Sunday, brought to you by Whirlpool. Bet with the world.